This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to Out with Susie Ruffle. This is Series 3, Episode 8. I hope that you're doing well. I hope you're having a good week. I'm having a really good weekend. I don't mind telling you. Yesterday I went and sat in one of my best friend's gardens. Uh, we decided we should go and get pizza for um, us and the other people that were there. It was within the government guidelines, I'm hastened to add. And uh, the local the local pub does pizza you can take away. So we thought, right, that's it. We're going to go get some pizza. We're going to get pizza for a few people. Went and got the pizza. There was a 15 minute wait. And do you know what that meant? It meant that we had 15 minutes where we could have a pint in the sunshine. And honestly, guys, I was over the moon. I mean, my partner was still at the house when she came back. I mean, I was, I was almost too excited by the fact that I had a shandy, but it was thrilling to see some friends and uh, to actually look at them in the face rather than the various Zoom, FaceTime, video, quiz things we've done over the last few months. It was really lovely. I really hope that you, whoever you are, wherever you are, you've had an opportunity to see some friends this week or you've got that coming up to look forward to. I've just been out for a little workout and I mean, tonight, I'm so excited. Anyone that's listened to any of Like Minded Friends, a podcast I do with Tom or, um, has had a brief peruse of my Twitter page, will know that I'm a massive fan of Call the Midwife and the new series starts tonight. And I think some people think that I'm being jokey how earnest I am about how much I love Call the Midwife, but I'm not kidding, guys. It's my favourite show. I can't wait for this evening. So I hope that when this podcast finds you, whether it is um, the day that it goes out, which will be the 19th of April, 2021, or if it's in some future time, 2025, 2030 even, who knows? I hope that whatever you're doing, you are having a lovely day and welcome to this podcast. Okay, as ever, I would like to share some listener emails. Um, oh, I should firstly apologise, this sort of first bit, the intro bit, I'm really sorry if you can hear my washing machine. I don't really know how to pause it. I appreciate most adults would be able to do this. I've looked at the thing, I don't really know how to do it. So if you hear a whirring in the background, you have you have my apologies. Uh, but I really, I really want my clothes to be clean and I'm not gonna apologise for that. Okay, <laughs> right. Um, so I had lots of emails of you getting in touch after last week's episode with Leanne Sanderson, who I loved, and it seems that loads of you loved her too. Um, and here's an email from a listener. Hi Susie, I always think about getting in touch, but I never do. I wanted to say how great it is hearing you talk about women's football on the show. After a few months of furlough, where I hadn't been keeping up with my podcasts, coming back to this this morning, to that episode, was such a treat. I feel like it's not always discussed in conversations about the queer community, but women's football is such a wonderfully inclusive world for women who like women, however they identify both in terms of representation we get from players and in terms of communities of fans. Obviously not all female footballers are gay, but it's certainly common to an extent that as a queer woman, it makes my identity feel normal in a way that it doesn't feel elsewhere. For context, I'm not out to my family, but I'm very out to my football fan friends. I still vividly remember watching the Women's World Cup final in 2019 and thinking, I can't remember another time that I've seen this many queer women get this kind of platform. The USA won and there were multiple players there who were embracing their partners for all the world to see. 
They were captained by Megan Rapone. I think that's how you say her name. They were captained by Megan Rapone, winner of best headline ever for purple-haired lesbian goddess flattens France like a crepe, who also won player of the tournament and scored most goals of the tournament. There was also Ashley Harris, Ali Krieger, her married teammates, the defender Turner Davidson, barely out of college but unafraid to come out publicly, and goalkeeper Adriana French with her wife and Kelly O'Hara kissing her girlfriend in the stands after winning. Against them in the final was the Netherlands, whose star player Vivian Medina, who often speaks openly about her relationship with Arsenal teammate Lisa Evans. How precious this space feels to exist not in the margins of something, but at the heart of it. It isn't about one symbolic story about a player coming out. It's a world where it's so gloriously unremarkable that Marta, perhaps the most iconic female player ever, can announce her engagement to her Orlando Pride teammate without any surprise. You mentioned in the letter within the episode that you would try and head to a game. You mentioned West Ham, so I assume for context you meant a men's football match. But I wanted to tell you that once we're allowed to go to games again, I wholeheartedly urge you to catch a women's match sometimes. Try WSL match, Arsenal, my team, Chelsea, Manchester United and City. But probably not City, Susie. Every single one of them includes players who belong to the LGBTQ community. How wonderful is that? Every single one. And you'll find yourself amongst a crowd that makes you feel like you're where you belong. If you ever need a guide to women's football, let me know. Seriously, the gossip is chef's kiss, which I think is But thank you for touching on it in this episode. I'm sure you're keen to explore other subjects in upcoming episodes but I would love to hear you chat to some current out players and um, I've been given some recommendations here who I promise I will reach out to sending love and good vibes Um, I'm not going to share your name because you've mentioned that you're not out to everybody so I'm not going to do that but um, I was so pleased to receive your email first of all I'm well up for going to a women's match I just meant that I'd like to see more football live but I would absolutely love to go to a women's match in fact if there's people listening who want to take me get in touch because I don't think I know anything about women's football, but I'm really keen to learn. So the the person that sent in this email, if you want to get in touch and you want to take me to an Arsenal match, let me tell you, I will be bang up for that. But thank you for getting in touch. I'm so pleased that you enjoyed Leanne's episode. I have been trying for a really long time to get a female player and I've reached out to quite a few of them, but unfortunately none of them um, had, had got back or some of them couldn't make it work or some people don't like sharing their lives as much as I do. Um, but obviously it was so brilliant to get Leanne. She was such a great episode and um, I will... I would take those recommendations that you've given me and I will reach out. Some of them I'll reach out to again and see if we can get some more uh, female players on because you're absolutely right and I'm so pleased that you flagged it. The fact that, what did you say? That it feels precious, this space feels, to exist not in the margins but at at the heart of it is so important. Yeah, I think that's sort of how I feel about... um, you know within comedy there's a little bit of that as well and I think it's so important to feel like that so I'm so excited to come and watch a game maybe with you thank you so much for your email uh, let's have another one. Oh, I need to share this with you before we get on to the episode. Hi, Susie. I hope you're well. I'm just emailing to share a resource that I found yesterday that I think could help your listeners feel less alone. I was doing my volunteering shift with Switchboard. Uh, that's the LGBT plus listening service who are incredible. Can I add if you if you ever need to talk to anyone, um, just look up Switchboard. Uh, they are absolutely amazing and they also have a podcast called the logbooks which i highly recommend it's sort of the history of switchboard um they keep logbooks for everyone that calls in and there's just the most incredible story so if you're looking for a new podcast may i suggest that right back to the email i'll go back to the beginning of that sentence i was doing my volunteering shift with switchboard the lgbt plus listening service and i was doing the im part of the helpline where people contact us by chat messages and one of the people i was talking to actually recommended something to me it's usually the other way around but it is amazing and i spent the next few hours obsessed with it and sending it to everyone in the queer lgbtq plus community Community that I know and that includes you as I feel like I've got to know you this past year through this podcast although I've loved your stand-up for a long time before that thank you okay I'm beginning to remember so I'm going to send you the link and what I'm on about it's called queering the map the website is www.queeringthemap.com so it's a map of the world covered in little black pin drops 
and all you've got to do is hover over the pin and a little record comes up and it shows something someone has recorded that happened at that point at that moment in the map and honestly they've made me cry they range from the first kiss to the first time to having sex with a long lost love to coming out story over chips in a local mcdonald's logically i know i'm not alone i'm 26 now and i have many queer friends and i know there are loads of queer people in the world but something about the sheer number of records in this map makes me stop and stare and really realize there are so many of us literally all over the world there are even pins dropped in the ocean which i have to say made me tear up the most i'm currently in a long distance relationship from the uk to the us and it's very hard at the moment my girlfriend has recently had to fly back to the us after spending a few months of lockdown in my flat with me and i miss her very much I feel like I need to say that we followed all testing and quarantining government guidance over this when she came. But anyway, I really recommend you have a look at this website and any other listeners who ever feel like they're the only one of us, because actually we are everywhere. I think seeing a map like this would have really, really helped me when I was yet another confused teenage girl experiencing some really deep feelings for her best friend. A classic, I know. I also want to say thank you to you for this podcast. I've listened every week since you started it last year. In the first lockdown, you became my Saturday morning ritual to sit and draw whilst listening. Then... The most recent series you shattered to me while I made dinner for my girlfriend, so I guess now I'm alone again you'll be keeping me company on my daily walks and having some chatter around my lonely flat. I love listening to the stories of your guests, the one I knew well like Rosie and Rose, and the ones whose stories I'd never heard before. I also discovered like-minded friends through it, and that's been so much comfort in the loneliest of lockdowns. I can't wait until the world is more normal and I can come along to another one of your shows. I first came across you at a Stonewall showcase in London, and I've seen you a couple of other times in London, and each time I've loved it. Okay, I'm going to send this email now before I ramble on. I'm definitely now using it as a source of procrastination for not editing my master's dissertation. But I'd like to end by saying what someone said to me when I was speaking to them yesterday afternoon when I was doing my volunteering. Thank you for being you so I can be me. Best wishes, Eleanor. You're very welcome to use my name on the off chance you read this out. It's not an off chance I'm going to read this out, Eleanor. First of all, thank you so much for the kind things that you said about um, the podcast. I'm so pleased I'm keeping you company at the moment. Um, Hello to you and hello to your girlfriend. Thank you so much for sharing this Queering the Map with me. Um, I've had a very similar experience. When you sent it, I got really tearful that they're just all of these. um, Okay, I've got the website open right now. And just all of these these little um these little dots where you can put your cursor over and it says i had my first grinder date here i was traveling with my family at a camping place i was so nervous texting him he was so lovely we chatted it was amazing he now lives in new zealand i live in belgium maybe we'll meet up again i had my first kiss here um i got married here just all of these lovely things it was on a flight like one's over the sea it was on a flight here that i told my girlfriend i loved her for the first time I mean, just all over the world, people just recording their sort of queer moments of love or heartache. Um, If you've got time to check it out, thank you so much, Anna, for sharing it uh, with me. I had absolutely no idea about it and I love it. So thanks for sharing that and thanks for sharing it with all of the listeners. Um, Okay, let's get on with today's interview. This week it is with the brilliant Jamie Windust, who I absolutely love. Jamie Windust is an award-winning non-binary writer, public speaker, and model. They have written for the Independent, Gay Times, British GQ, Cosmopolitan, and more. They were also named as one of London's most influential people in the storytelling category by the Evening Standard. And they have recently released their first book, In Their Shoes, which is about navigating non-binary life. Friends, you have to read it. It is brilliant. I can't recommend it enough. It's frank, it's funny, it's affirming. It's a call to arms for our non-binary siblings and a real lesson in allyship for all of us, which, let's be honest, we all need at the moment. So please grab a copy. Jamie also happens to be the most stylish person I've ever met. And you know I've met a lot of people, guys. You know, I get around easily the most stylish person I've ever met. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you very much, Susie Ruffle. You know, I'm sorry, you you are good friends with Tom Allen, which I would say Tom is the most stylish person. I think it's a different kind of style. I remember seeing you at Waterloo Station. Now, this will mean nothing to you because we weren't friends by this point. <laughs> and I, were, I was aware of you because I had seen you in the Stonewall office. Oh, a very yes. dear friend of mine used to work at Stonewall. And I'd come into Stonewall for something or other and you were wearing something remarkable, nothing short of remarkable. Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you, right? right. And I remember thinking, look at that person. They are fabulous. And (laughs) then I saw you a little while later at Waterloo and I wanted to come up to you and say, 
you look brilliant. But then I thought, why do they care? <laughs> like, why, why should I? I didn't know whether it would seem like I was being like, well done you with your fashion. <laughs> and then I thought, then I'll look like a prick. But I have such a distinct memory of seeing you at Waterloo Station. I always find things that funny because that is, I forget how, not in like a twatish way, but that is how quite a lot of my friendships start is people being like, I think you walked past me once in Soho or <laughs> I think I saw you like looking ridiculous on Waterloo Bridge. And I was like, yes, yeah, probably right. It was when you had no hair and I remember you had very pink eyes, very pink situation with the eyes. A big, bold face. I mean, I think looking back, I, with people's reaction to me, and we can get into this in a bit, but in terms of like your, what you've just described, I don't mind people coming up and saying you look brilliant, especially if, no offense, Susie, but I would be able to acknowledge instantly that they're also part of the club. Sure, guys, you can't see what I'm wearing today, but if I had a tool belt on, I would still look, like I couldn't look more gay than I look right now, I think, so. It's It's, true. it's a real bold look. It's a full tracksuit. It's a full tracksuit. It's no makeup. It's, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing before anyone gets upset, I'm really not, but I'm really leaning into my boyishness. Yeah. In my queer lady vibes today. Floppy fringe, like it's all going on. And it's worked. Sure. Maybe I'm Devon Sawyer. Sure. But do you know what? <laughs> this podcast isn't about me. But yeah, um, so I distinctly remember seeing you. So go on. What? How do you feel when people say, I love how you look? I don't mind it. But I think what I found um, that I realised not that long ago, actually, is that whether or not it's a negative or a positive, people telling me, people voicing their thoughts on my look, I found it frustrating that people felt the need to say things to me because I would be like, you don't do this to everyone else. You don't go up to other people and show admiration or show negativity most of the time. So obviously the nice ones are nice because most mm. of the time it's it's bollocks, especially at Waterloo. It's like a bloody zoo. So, <laughs> so, do you know what? It has, if, if someone comes up to me and I'm having a shite day, like if you'd come up to me, I'm not saying that, I'm not telling you off for not, but like <laughs> if I'd been having a shocker of a day and you'd been like, you look fucking great. I would have been like, thanks, Suze. <laughs> thanks, um, Suze. Thanks, babe. Yeah. And I would have been like, cheers. But I have been known to be very rude to people that are being positive and negative. Right. Okay. Well, we'll get into that. Yeah, I'm, I can, I was quite a rude person. We mentioned Tom Allen a moment ago. Tom is someone that will tell people they look great or the, like he, he would do that, which is a lovely quality. And once when he was in New York, a woman walked past him and he said, great jacket. And just as she'd got past him, he realized it was Anna Wintour. <laughs> <laughs> just the editor of Vogue. Um, so... a, similar, a similar feeling to you and Waterloo. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off talking about your book. You know, often we do the podcast in sort of a chronological way, which the book sort of does as well. You sort of dip in and out. And so initially, why did you want to write the book? I guess is a great place to start. Can I just can I just start by saying this recording has come at a great time because last night, I haven't done this yet, and I'm sure you'll relate. Last night, for the first time, I was like, I'm going to go through all the reviews. <gasps> okay. And some were fine. Quite a lot of people were slagging me off for being about 12 years old and were accusing me of not having enough life, which I was like, fine, I can understand that. But some people were being very mean. And I was like, some people had given me one star. And if they're listening, I would like to say thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> it really was a kick in the teeth at two in the morning. <laughs> why did you want to scratch that itch? I know the itch of, of finding reviews. So, you know, but wh why have you done that? First of all, you are very young. And I think that is to be applauded because I think that this is something not applauded that you're young like oh well done your mum it does the book does feel young but I loved it because of that because I because you I'm really getting an insight into you know your references are young but that's great because you're the person that they've asked to write a book about you know navigating a life like yours yeah exactly and I think to look at your question as well about why I wanted to write it I think it's because it links with that idea that there is not a lot of literature or work out there that is aimed at a younger audience around trans stuff. It's normally about trans issues in a very, either very theoretical way, which obviously has a place at a moment and that's fine, or it's very news centric. So it's very heavy. And 
I wanted to create something that was aimed at a younger audience that was a mixture of all of those things. I was like, I'm not going to shy away from telling you what it's like, but I also don't want you to think it's a complete shit show. And I want you to know that it can be funny and stupid and normal. But the thing that I was wondering as well is that is the the use of the term non-binary I know that what non-binary is isn't a new thing. It's something that people have felt, you know, for generations and across the globe, it's something that has been, you know, people have known more about, there's been more celebrated. However, using this term non-binary, is that quite a new thing? So I think the the language around transness has changes and evolved. So in the 20th century, you know, if you look at the evolution of trans, it started as transsexual, it moves through to transgender, gender non-conforming. And I think as language has evolved, the people move with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, like you say, the identity itself isn't new. I think we are just coming up with newer ways to describe our identities. And at the moment in time, this moment we are using non-binary. If mm-hmm. I'm honest, I don't really like the word. I'll be I'll be truthful. It does. I just find it a bit annoying because it's like I personally <laughs> don't mind me just having an identity crisis. On a no, board. that's fine. We we are recording, so that's great. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Use this as the clip. Um, <laughs> but for me, I just don't. I would rather just be absolutely nothing. I, I don't. Just Jamie. Yeah. Just, I don't care for it. Like I don't, I found the term non-binary and I, um, at a point in time for me, that was really helpful because I was like wandering around, like, I don't know what I am. And at a young age, when I found a word that I could slot into, I felt relief. Whereas now I'm like, do I need it? Yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting conversation about labels in general. People that listen to the show would have heard me say this before, but I've often not really felt like the word lesbian fits on me and it's not because I, I'm, I'm I'm a cis woman that only uh, is attracted to women but just because gay always felt more comfortable mm. whilst you know I do sort of stand on stage and go I'm gay I'm gay I'm gay here's some funny stuff um, but I did find it very comforting to have a label at that point when I was working out who I was and to meet people who said I am also this thing. I also feel like this. I also, and it could be, you know, men or women or non-binary people saying, oh, I also fancy people of the same sex or I fancy people. I'm not a cisgendered straight person, basically. And that and that label felt really sort of comforting of being like, oh, we're together. This is a thing. We're a gang. But I know what you mean in that sometimes then you can sometimes feel a bit constricted by a label as well. And I don't know whether you found this because now you seem to be to some degree like a voice for a non-binary community but sometimes you don't want to be the voice for everyone else. You just want to be your own voice, right? Yeah, and I will I will say now, to be honest, in the past six months or so, I don't want to be that voice. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, it's not just me. I think often people, you know, I am part of a very large community of people that have lots of things to say. And I have been chosen, I guess, in part, to do the things that I do because of privilege and because of accessibility to my writing and because I am palatable. And I think that is something that I've noticed and actively want to try and change. But also another reason for me not wanting to have to be, I guess, publicly non-binary in all that I do is because I enjoy other fucking things. I like to write. I like fashion. I like lots of other things in work like presenting all of this stuff that I'm like this doesn't need to be identity specific I just want to be able to do it so I do feel now in a position to distance not distance myself from being non-binary but distance it from being the focus of my work because I don't it's not I've noticed for me personally it's not healthy well, I think as well if that if you are completely defined by one thing it's stifling for any other creativity to seep in absolutely like I'm doing Clang. I'm writing my book proposal now for my next book. And I feel very excited at the fact that at no point in it so far have I said, I am trans, I am non-binary, and this is what I think. Like, I like that. I I don't feel like I need to shove that into my work. Obviously, my whatever I do is going to have that lens to it. But it's not, I don't need to come in with my fucking 
trans flag and be like, yeah, like people, people know now they've heard enough of me rattle on that they know. <laughs> they've got the gist. Yeah. They've picked up a couple of bits. So let, let's go back to sort of you growing up. So did you grow up in Dorset? Indeed. Yes, I did. Um, I like Dorset. Rural Dorset. So from the person that I, and, and you know, I don't know you that well, but I feel like we're sort of online friends and, um, and I'm, you know, and I, I feel like I've got to know you through your book, but I see you as a very confident person who knows exactly who they are, who is very creative and courageous with fashion and colour and is happy for everybody to not look at them when they walk in a room, but is happy to make a statement. Do you know what I I love? And I love listening to what other people... Not that you're completely wrong, because there are obviously parts of what you said. No, but tell me if I am. Like, thinking back to childhood, like, I was incredibly shy. Okay, this is what I was wondering, whether you've always been so happy to be so, I don't know, so visually prominent. Yeah. So, so, So what sort of child were you? I was, honestly, to, I guess, one example of that was whenever my school report would come in, it would be, Jamie needs to speak more. Jamie sits at the back and literally says nothing and aligns their pens and rulers in a formation on the table and tells people off for not doing their homework. I was a not a brat, but I was just a nerdy little ginger kid at the back that just didn't say anything. I think now there is still a part of that. I'm still very, I'm actually very introvert. The one way that I am able to, I guess, be extroverted is through how I look. But what comes with that is a presumption that I am like, the life and soul, whereas actually I don't, like in terms of being a queer person, I don't enjoy nightlife. I don't socialize in ways that I think often a lot of the queer community do because I just don't feel comfortable. And I love my own company and I'm very solitary, I guess. Um, So yeah, I I can understand why people would presume that I'd walk in and I'd be, I don't know, being a, loud twat but like oh uh, no I, I said nothing like loud twat no. just to be clear I said nothing like loud twat no, but, I, know what you mean. Uh, no but I think that's really interesting because I think that's something that comes up a lot with stand-ups because I think I don't like being I would I, I'm not the life and soul of a party I don't mind a party but I won't be the person that's like definitely not the loudest person there because I get it all out on stage I think if I didn't do it on stage I'd be an awful person that people wouldn't want to hang out with because like thank god i've got the stage because otherwise i think that i'd be showing off constantly <laughs> and people would be like that girl needs to leave but no i understand that. I, I get that 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 sort of your one bit of extrovert is fashion and there's a lovely yeah. bit in the book quite early on where you talk about fashion and talk about uh, going into the retro shop Mm. in now where was that was that in is that was that when you went to college or was that before so that was in that was in dorset so that was in my hometown i remember that shop so vividly because i it was the first time that i was able to notice fashion in a way that was ungendered you know they didn't have any gender restrictions on the clothing and at this time i wasn't really questioning gender i was just having having fun with clothes mm-hmm. so i was like okay this is great and the, the company in that the two women that worked there were just like you know i was a little nerdy kid that would just run upstairs and go and play in the rails and then when people from school would come in i'd just hide in the <laughs> hide in the changing room and they'd be like can i try something on i'd be like no <laughs> there's only one changing room i'd just be like no sorry i'm, I'm going to a function I've got lots of things to try on so yeah I loved it and that was my first Farrar and at this point were you sort of out in any capacity I think I was in terms of sexuality I never got a chance to come out people outed me or assumed they basically told me what I was before I had properly figured it out which skewed my perception of it and I guess and do you mean kids at school? Yeah, so people, which looking back on it actually now, it's quite awful that people would throw quite accusatory statements at you or be very prejudiced about being gay before you'd even come out as gay. So therefore, when you're processing that yourself, 
all you can think of is the negative connotations that people are throwing at you. Um, so yeah, I never, I never came out, but people knew, mm-hmm. which was almost worse because if I'd just come out and been like, Ta-da! it would have been maybe a bit fine. Because it's sort of a lack of ownership. Yeah, it's t- yeah, it's taken from you, and uh, it feels like everyone knows something about you that you don't quite fully understand yet. And what age were you when this was going on? I think I was like 13, like 12, 12, 13. Mm. So So secondary school. Yeah. So we had like a weird system, but I had, so we like moved schools at that age. So I had just, I just started like big school. In that regard, they sort of, yeah, I'm going to call them bullies, sort of stole that opportunity from you in order for you to be able to have a moment for you to work out who you are yeah definitely and it meant that I without fully understanding what my sexuality was I suddenly was faced with all of the prejudice of someone that was that sexuality so I was like having no male friends at school constant like changing room drama or people just shouting stuff and not wanting to speak to me you know all of those things that happen as a queer person in a school environment um or like whenever you're in sex education and they talk about like the one the like one minute where they are like and gay people have sex and everyone turning around and being like jamie and i'd be like i am not gay <laughs> so I sit there like with my one direction pencil case um, <laughs> again that shows that shows how fucking young I am yeah you are are you 23 yeah yeah you are I mean but you're very wise I don't know how I feel about age I don't mind being young but I do I do sometimes think am I am I going too fast am I putting too much pressure on myself I think it's important to remember to enjoy the ride which I have had to be told numerous times this is certainly not something that I do naturally but it's like the next thing then I want to do the next thing then I want to do that and then I want to do that and I want to do that and I want to make sure I've gotten that and I want to do this and I want to do that and it's only when I've sort of um my partner who isn't in the industry at all doesn't do anything like what I do is the person that's like this is fun enjoy this bit and I'm like oh yeah this is fun this is this is really fun you know the oh okay well I'm I'm working on this thing now I'm just going to enjoy working on it but yeah I know what you mean I think that sometimes I remember getting to 34 and realizing that I'd never be in the Vogue's 30 under 30 <laughs> uh, and I thought the fact that it's taken me four years to realize this is the real tragedy um, <laughs> but yeah I think there's this real emphasis put on do stuff when you're young mm. but you know you'll continue to do stuff which is the exciting thing that's the thing and also I, I completely resonate with what you're saying there is that I don't when I because I have I have about two, two, two and a half friends. And <laughs> when they are also not in my industry and when I tell them things that I'm doing or when I am like, oh yeah, I'm you know, X, Y, Z, they're like, fuck, that's cool. And I think often as the people doing them, we become so like desensitized to the actual joy of what we're doing right? and we focus on the progression mm-hmm. career-wise. We don't yeah. actually realize like, oh yeah, that is... That is fucking fun. Like, imagine you told me 10 years ago that I was going to do a TED talk or, or you mm-hmm. know, whatever. I would have been like, sod off. Yeah. <laughs> or write a book. Yeah. Like, and have it in my, I actually got an email last week saying that my school have put it in their library. Oh, wow. Is hilariously ironic. So yeah, things like that, that I'm just like, these are very full circle moments and it will continue as long as I don't die, question mark. Oh, okay. That that took more of a <laughs> that took more of a nosedive than I was than I was expecting. But that's fine. Um, I think that it's important to. I mean, this is now just becoming sort of a therapy session, even more than these episodes normally are. But I mean, and I mean one that's going to and throw. I'm not the therapist here. It is important to like allow yourself time for like a celebration when you achieve something, and it doesn't have to be massive. It can be like finally doing a five k, which I still can't do, even though. I've been trying to do on the whole pandemic. Same. Even though I've got Sarah Millican on Couch 5K. <laughs> I thought it was funny in your book when you were talking about sort of being outed to some degree and not having that moment to be able to sort of, not that you would necessarily have wanted to sort of sit down and have like an announcement to your family. But um, I liked how you sort of described your family as a hydrangea bush. <laughs> yes, my family were very, <laughs> 
frustrated but in like a funny way right okay at the ways in which they were depicted throughout the book um because i refused to let them read it until it was published oh wow that's brave i said to them i was like look i was like i can assure you there's nothing in here that is going to be like damaging i can assure you that nothing that i'm going to say about you is defamatory it's just my experience of being in a family unit and that was the hardest one to write because i've never written about my family and um there was lots of actually there was lots of behind the scenes drama around i've been told i'm not allowed to say this but i do love saying it so i'm gonna say it um around like certain members of my family threatening legal action if i (gasps) if i used parts of what i actually did end up using so wow exclusive the story in that chapter is not is real but the people that it's attributed to are fake people well you're gonna go you're gonna have to read the book to work it out and then you can sort of play miss marple in trying to work out what the real story is it was really interesting though it's really like eye-opening and in the past year or so i've had a especially since the book came out i've had a much more open relationship with my parents and family specifically because of the pandemic of circumstance this year and also because of the book they've been able to get to know me a bit more that mm-hmm. especially because the period of time that i wrote the book over as in like my teenage years and early 20s i was incredibly guarded with them i was incredibly closed off with them i didn't speak to them like properly we never had open chats it's only now that i'm doing that so i feel like almost i'm able to now finally tell them everything that i was thinking when i was a teenager and we can now have a better relationship because of it well yeah because you say in the book that you sort of came out as non-binary in an article like in your (laughs) writing rather than speaking to them about it and we're like well i guess they'll read that (laughs) and then that's done incredibly narcissistic (laughs) be like (laughs) yeah she'll see this somewhere on the internet um <laughs> on the small internet where eventually you end up reading everything she'll she'll find it yeah she'll get in a wormhole and was that to distance yourself from the emotion somewhat do you think yeah definitely and it was it was because at that point in time i just moved to university and i was i felt like like most people do when when they leave home for the first time is that they're like i don't need that old life i've got my own life here in this tiny one bed and <laughs> I just felt very like stubborn at the fact that I was going to like live the life I wanted to live and not have anyone tell me I couldn't, which bizarrely, I I knew my parents wouldn't tell me not to do that. They wouldn't be like, Jamie, stop being weird. They would just be like, we don't really understand, but we might try. (laughs) Yeah. Which which is what they did end up saying. (laughs) I mean, would you recommend that as a way of coming out? Um... Just... (laughs) it's an interesting one like with in terms of like how i would advise to people to coming out there's been a lot of i hate this word and i feel like it's going to be the word of 2021 but like discourse about people sharing extremely vulnerable moments of their lives online a lot mm. of people have a lot of opinions about that like we had um chrissy teigen and people like that being very open and like you know i do it quite a lot and i think the thing is online spaces for some people and definitely me when i was younger are the only ways that we can connect to the queer community often Mm -hmm. so if you want to share on social media that you are coming out because you know that in your physical space you don't have any support but you know online you're going to have loads of people reaffirming that you are brilliant Mm-hmm. and making you feel comfortable in that not necessarily validating it but making you feel nice <laughs> mm-hmm. then then fucking do it i think i hate people who are like why the, why the fuck would you put that on instagram it's like well no but i think as well that you know when we talk about i mean i'm someone that talks about myself on stage for a living so i would be the last person to say don't share but i also think you know this is a way that we communicate now this you know we've got these social media platforms and and i don't just mean platforms of people that have x amount of followers i mean we can all have that if we want we can all decide to share and i think that 
you know, you use Chris Teigen as an example, which is a great example. And I think that that was really affirming to lots of people that had had miscarriages and or, or had had, you know, pregnancy loss, which must be unbelievably hard. And having someone that seemingly has this beautiful life, who does have this beautiful life, but, you know, had this incredible tragedy, it makes us know that we're human. I think, yeah. I think it, and I think that can be really encouraging for, for people. And I, but you know, and I think it's different for different people about how much we decide to share online. I think the thing is that with online as well is that there's always a response that mm-hmm. you maybe don't want to see. And that can be something that's really difficult and quite challenging. Yeah, definitely. Like I had an, I had a situation where I was writing something that was very raw and very honest. And it was, I remember I was like, oh, am I, am I doing this? Like, why do I, do I want to do this? And then the news came out around Meghan Markle also sharing that she had suffered a miscarriage. And I was like, do you know what? I am under no obligation to share this with the world. But if I want to, and people are going to resonate with it, but more importantly, I am going to feel closure mm-hmm. by publishing this, then I'm going to do it. And people like Chrissy Teigen and Meghan Markle, although, like you said, they are exponentially light years away from what we would deem like just a regular Joe. It shows that they're still human. There's still people going through shit. And I think that's something we've learned even more this year about, you know, you see see the good and the bad in these moments, don't you? I think, and I think that is really reassuring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. People need that. People like that. Um, So... Earlier, when we first started talking, you said, oh, I'm sure we'll get onto that later, which is about people's sort of reaction to you. And I think it links quite nicely because I was the, the, the chapter of your book that's about dating as a non-binary person, I thought was, I mean, it's very funny um, in moments and is, is really interesting. And I'd love to chat a little bit about that. So, I mean, I said, you know, I wanted to see you and say, you look fabulous. Um, but do you find that you are... Does it matter where you are in the country to whether you get a reaction to how statementy your outfit <laughs> is? Um, my biggest frustration with a lot of people is that they're always like, but you live in London. And it's like, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I do live in London, but dickheads uh, do not just congregate out, like outside of London. They it's not are... just the home counties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For example, when I go home to Dorset, I get a lot of reaction. But part of me is like, I feel different about it because I feel like I'm reclaiming space there. I feel like I'm I'm comfortable there. What I found, not to slag off the whole of the north of England, but I found the north, like when I've gone to like Manchester or Liverpool, is that people are a lot more vocal about what they perceive me to be, how they perceive me to be looking, but in a more positive way. So I got a lot more people being like, "Where you look fucking cool, which is like fine. But it also is, it's obviously not as tiring, but it's also a bit like, guys, I'm just going to get a fucking meal deal. Like, this is just how I look. Yeah. And I just, I just want to go and do that. But I guess what's not in the book and is something that I've experienced in the past year or so is that before, when I was writing the book, I went through a real period of like, I am fucking like exhausted with, people's reaction to me i'm exhausted with having to like constantly be on alert that like okay there's a group of people there are oh i'm walking past these cars are they looking at me out the window are they filming me out the window so i just went for like three months at the end of 2019 with like no makeup nothing i was like i'm just gonna go completely alfresco <laughs> sure and that was for me very nourishing and very brilliant. And then what happened was I started 2020 almost like I'd started again. I was like, I know who I am now. I know that I can feel the same however I look. And then I basically started building who I want to be again. I was like, this is how I want to look. And I still feel the exact same. I can wear my full big pink face and be Jamie and I can wear the face that I'm wearing now and be Jamie. Because there was a time when I was like, I would never do like conventional makeup. I'd be like, that's not who I am. Is part of it war paint? Definitely, yeah. Part of it yeah. is, is war paint. But I think that is, um, I guess, not always gender specific. Do you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. we all we all do that. I think 
but I think maybe for trans people and for me personally, there is a there is definitely an, a more of an armor resonance to it because I feel I feel more confident. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But I, I, what I've learned is that I can feel as confident looking however I want to look or looking different or looking more masculine or more feminine. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I used to just be like, I am going to supply myself with like pure high femininity all the time. I never want to be seen as masculine. Whereas now I've come up with my own definitions for what is my femininity and what is my masculinity. And I'm a lot more comfortable in that. But I, but I think that's something that I, you know, there'll be days when I'm like, well, I want to look, oh, I'm doing that show. I'm going to wear a suit and tie. Or I'm doing that show and I'm going to wear like a jazzy shirt and maybe a heel. But I think it's just, I think that it's also something that for for people that were assigned male at birth, I, I've always had an element of that fluidity without people taking too much notice because, you know, Diane Keaton rocked a suit in the 80s and then everyone went, women can do this. <laughs> <laughs> and we all started doing it. But I think that for someone who who was assigned male when they were born, there's there's just been so much less fluidity of being able to celebrate masculine and feminine sides, certainly within our culture. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's often why I think people now and in work perceive me as somewhat palatable or relatable because they... For example, I have like, um, <laughs> I have a lot of what I'd call middle-aged Sue's who've followed me. I am not middle-aged <laughs> and it is Sue's, okay? I don't be a middle-aged yet. No, go on. You have middle-aged Sue's. I love it. Go on. Yeah, like I have a lot of mums that follow me on Instagram or I have a lot of like generic, no offence everyone, generic like white women that follow me, which is fine. But I'm aware that by following me, a lot of them are doing it because I remind them of their childhood. I remind them of the 80s. I remind them of like Boy George. So Yes, okay. They they can see something in me that they're like, right, I understand that. I got that. But what makes me laugh is a lot of these people are actually the most ignorant because they, whenever I say anything, it's about to destroy my whole fan base. Whenever I say anything to do with gender or politics or race or anything that is kind of supposed to be in information, mm-hmm. they will just always reply like, you looked great in that video where you were crying, but like what lipstick are you wearing? <laughs> oh, wow. So like they, they're, they're, a lot of people that engage with me can only appreciate and see the visual. Uh, the, the playful side of how you look rather than the fact that you look fabulous and also have a brain and want to use your platform for conversation rather than just some, let's be honest, fabulous frocks. Very true, yes. Yeah. Tar. Um, it's baffling to me. That's like what happened uh, when I did the TED Talk is that I had one of the like the hardest things I've ever done and I spoke about that and I fucking cried on stage it's really embarrassing and then straight after there's like a meet and greet and people are like i really loved what you were saying i didn't people genuinely were like i loved what you were saying i didn't really get it but like where are your shoes from <laughs> i would i would I just didn't reply more wall paint more wall paint <laughs> correct so what's next for you so you're writing your your new book and or pitching your new book out at the moment yes pitching pitching book i want to do more I want to try this year and do more presenting mm-hmm. and more hosting. I really enjoyed doing that last year with Jamila Jamil and Iway on her platform. Mm-hmm. That was really fun. And Clang. Clang with, with the wonderful Tom Allen. Sure. I just want to, I feel very rejuvenated in the idea that I want to do work that I care about that isn't necessarily what people will expect of me. Mm-hmm. I'm, t- I'm, I'm tired of doing work because I think that's what I should be doing or looking a certain way because that's what people will expect from me. I just Mm -hmm. want to do things that I enjoy and have a passion for. And I guess personally, um, recovery is important to me. I'm in recovery at the moment, which is really important. And just slowing the fuck down. Like Mm. we've had such, I think, I think we all forget collectively as a people forget how fucking 
major last year was. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting you say slowing down because when we had the brilliant Travis Alabanza on the podcast, they mm. were saying because of being queer, they had always felt like they are constantly proving themselves I've got to do the next thing I've got to do the next thing I've got to do the next thing and the pandemic could actually force them to stop for a bit which I think is I think slowing down is really important yeah massively when are we ever going to get the time obviously it's not ideal but when are we ever going to get the time again to just sit and be like what the fuck do I want to do now obviously it's not ideal for some people to have to be in that position but it doesn't mean we can't try and ensure that what we do next really makes us happy and you know obviously this isn't a positive time but you know there can be crumbs of positivity and hopefulness and uh, of what's to come and and making sure that you're doing stuff that you want to do whether that's just reading a book um so the question i ask everybody at the end of the podcast um thank you so much for coming on i thought it was a really great discussion um is um if someone is listening so you can either think of it as like ringing your 13 year old self if you like but Gokwan absolutely hated that idea because he said that his life would have then be totally different. So you can, you can, it cannot be ringing yourself. Um, it can be picking up the phone and ringing someone that is similar to you or someone that's listening to the podcast. We've got loads and loads of listeners, which is amazing. And I'm sure lots of them will resonate with the conversation that we've just had. If you had to give them, it can be a nugget of advice or a bit of encouragement for the future. What would you say? I would say trust your instincts and allow yourself to find the fun in the exploring stage. There's a lot of worry that I think we have when we start to explore things about ourselves. And one thing that I am trying to do now is to remember the joy of that feeling of being like, I'm having the, you know, the first time you do something that you feel really sits right with you is actually bloody brilliant. So remember how brilliant that is. Don't be scared. And um, I'd say to follow, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, where can people find out everything? As I mentioned at the top, Jamie's book is called In Their Shoes, and I highly recommend it. Ignore the fact that at the beginning, Jamie said some twat had given it one star. They can very, fuck off. Very rude. Uh, very rude, but it is brilliant. And like, there's loads of brilliant quotes from brilliant people. Juno Dawson, who you know from this podcast. I mean, I think it's just great. And I feel like, you know, I don't want to go to my queer non-binary friends and the same you know when it comes to race and be like can you explain like I don't want to ask anyone to explain and also no one owes me an explanation but I feel like I really understood a bit more of something from a non-binary perspective and you know as someone in the queer community I don't want to just assume that like you know we're all in this gang together I get it like it's important that we all you know take a moment to go oh okay well what is it like for someone that feels like this and I think your book does that in a funny and brilliant way so well done you thank you Susie that's very kind um yeah it's difficult Uh, I I really struggle with people being kind about things I've done so that's very (laughs) that's very lovely well then just take it yeah I'll take it just take it just take it (laughs) and so you're on Instagram you're on Twitter the book is called In Their Shoes there's a TED talk get involved get involved Twitter everywhere Instagram Jamie underscore wind dust not wind rush wind ass wind dust dust yeah you can just have a peruse but this has been this has been wonderful i love you susie this has been great fun i love you too that's great thank you so much for listening to today's episode if you want to get in touch please do the email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com a little reminder that um i have another podcast called like-minded friends tom and i released an episode last week if you want to have a listen to that also there was a podcast that i mentioned during one of the listener emails from eleanor uh, that's the switchboards podcast it's called the logbooks i highly recommend that also if you're looking to come out and see comedy in the real world um i'm starting to do some comedy um some open air stuff especially um uh if you're in london i'm doing one at the regent's park open air theater on the 15th of august um it's for canned laughter with um with my friend's brilliant comedy night my friend kenny runs a brilliant night where they raise money and food for a for the trust of trust the food bank so you can come along have a laugh and know that your money's going towards something brilliant uh, that's with canned laughter and burke's nest and it's at the o- regent's park open air theater so i highly recommend that i'm also doing some stuff in bristol and oxford i'm going to update my website soon if you want to come along and see some stand-up hoping to get out to some more um 
places across the UK and obviously I can't wait to travel um, with, with, with my stand up uh, listen I hope you have a great week I hope that however this lockdown is treating you you're doing alright and um, I'll speak to you next week you take care okay bye bye